good to be with my Frankston family this morning and to share the Word of God with you. Um, I was here a couple of weeks where I shared a message called Commitment to Community and um, Matt did a great job in, in welcoming this morning and just highlighting the importance of community, especially in, in regards to mental health. So this morning I'm doing a sort of a part two of my message and I'm talking about authentic community and so if you would like message notes you can go to the app and press media and then Frankston message and you'll find my notes. But I'm very much continuing on from uh, my, my message, Commitment to Community. And what I shared a month ago was that commitment to community is in incredibly important to cultivate because there's something special and powerful that takes place when we do life together. And unfortunately, what we've seen in our culture is a shift. In the last hundred years, we, Australia and many other Western countries, were, was they, we used to value the collective, the community. Now we see a shift to individualism. We value going it alone. And unfortunately, that has come at an enormous cost where we are, I believe, only seeing the tip of the iceberg with issues such as anxiety, social isolation and loneliness. The fact is that we are created for community. We are made in God's image and God's image is very much a collective. He's made of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So we're not designed to go it alone. We're actually designed to do things together. We thrive when we are together. So this morning I want to continue about this because God's been speaking to me heaps about this message and look at what it takes to develop an authentic Christ-like community. Now there are many communities in society but here, where we are meeting, we are meeting because we are following Christ. This is a Christ-like community. And I want to look at what does it take to develop a Christ-like community. Um, and particularly because we've made a decision to follow him and love him. And so this, just to start with this morning, I'm going to look at the definition of authentic. What does authentic mean? And it's simply something of undisputed origin something that's not a copy, it's something that is genuine. So authenticity is all about being genuine. It's not a fake and it's not a copy. If you go out shopping, you'll see lots of fakes and copies. Often when designers make some things, before you know it, there is a fake and a copy. We'll often see fake watches, handbags, um, all sorts of different types of products where someone's ripped off the original design and created a fake. So just to illustrate this um, to you this morning, I'm going to invite Emma up for a second. I've got two handbags. One's a fake. And one's a copy. Now, apart from colour and size, Emma, I would love for you to uh, find out which one, in your opinion, is the fake or the copy. The original, you can hold on to those. The original is made by a designer called Mr Longchamp, or Longchamp. So one of them is a fake and one of them is a copy. And I would like for you to try and discern which one you think is. One, I spent quite a bit of money. The other, probably a tenth of the price. I suck at this because <laughs> designer, I'm just feeling quality. It's very difficult to determine. However, I think that I'm going to say, I was going to say the blue one's real. 
Whoa, I'm sorry. You failed. (laughs) The red one's the real one. You should know that because red's my favourite colour. (laughs) But interestingly, it's not always easy to work out the genuine because sometimes fakes are made so well that they almost look like the genuine article. But I love what you said. You looked at at the quality. Um, And I guess if you had a little bit more time, the things that you were touching, if you looked in closer inspection, you can actually see that the quality is far more reduced than the other. And so when we're talking about um, something being genuine, on first glance, it can kind of look like the real deal. The appearance of it looks quite right. But the workmanship is not reflecting the heart of the creator, the designer. It's usually some shortcuts have been taken. So when we're talking about creating an authentic Christ-like community, it's truly one that reflects the heart of the creator. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of the day because they were leading communities that was far from the heart of the creator. He went so far as to call them hypocrites. In Mark 7, verse 6, it says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men, disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. You see, these leaders were creating communities that were far from the heart of God. They were more concerned about appearances, more concerned about behaviour and looking right, but deep down, their heart did not reflect the God of love. Their heart did not reflect the compassion of God. They were more concerned about appearances and looking right and holy, but far, being far from it. So when we're looking at something that's genuine and authentic, we want it to reflect the heart of God, particularly in a Christ-like community. When we're saying one thing and doing something else, that's called hypocrisy. And so here we want to follow Christ, reflect him as best possible in our journey. And we want to create a place where people can be safe and can be genuine about where they are at in that journey. Being able to be true to themselves and being able to walk and follow God. So I want to look at how do we create a community where people can be their authentic selves in following Christ. And this morning I want to share with you three ways that we can do that. An authentic Christ-like community, first and foremost, is about learning. Anyone here know it all? Anyone want to put their hand up? If you do know it all, please, because you should be up here preaching, not me. Anyone? Right. Well, I don't know it all. Pastor Rob doesn't know it all. Pastor Mark Connor or Pastor Christy. Anyone who's here, Steve McPherson, Jimmy Day, anyone who's sharing the word of God with you does not know it all. None of us know it all. And because we don't know it all, it means that we are all in a position of learning. When we come together, we're actually allowing opportunities to learn about each other and about God. Because you see, each one of us reflect a part of the image of God. I want you just to ponder that. When I look at each one of you, you reflect a part of the image of God to me. Something I can learn about God through you. So recently, I I went back to study and I shared this last time I was here. And I had the option of 
studying online or studying in a classroom. Now, online was very tempting and there's nothing wrong with studying online. It's very convenient. You can basically um, kick your feet up, put your laptop on your, on your um, lap and choose any time that suits you. You don't have to travel and beat traffic to get to um, the campus. And so the appeal for online was very much there for me. However, I know I learn best in a classroom environment. So I chose to battle through city traffic, to be at a certain time at that classroom every week, and be in a classroom where people are offering thoughts and ideas, not just the lecturer, because in a classroom environment, you have opportunity to ask questions. It's a bit difficult online to do that. And, and the fascinating thing is, is each person's sharing thoughts and ideas, even the lecturer, the one who's the expert, learns. And so that's the opportunity when we come together, we're learning. And learning is actually taking a humble disposition of, I don't know. I don't know. We like to think that we're experts, but we're not all the time. You know, has anyone ever been at a party or a function and um, maybe there's a conversation going, someone's talking about something that's taken place and they kind of expect that you know about it and they ask you a question and you don't want to look like an idiot so you kind of fumble an answer to look like you do know? Anyone done that? Am I the only one who's done that? I'm the only one. <laughs> no, we have, I'm in good company. What is that? We don't like to say we don't know. We like to pretend that we do. Teenagers are sometimes great at being know-it-alls. Mum, you go, you go get your teenager? Okay. Teenagers love to say they know it all. Mum and dad corrects them over something and they're going, I know. My sister used to be great at this. Mum would tell her off and she'd go, I know, Mum, I know. And my mother, in her beautiful Italian accent, would say, you know, you know nothing. <laughs> you know nothing. And she was right. She was right. She, she knew nothing at 15 years of age. <laughs> she knew some things, but not everything. You know, the older we get, I find, the more I don't know. And it's not I guess I'm saying that we don't know anything. We, we learn from our experiences, but there's always more to learn, always. 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't fully know everything. And if you think you know, the Bible clearly reminds each of us in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. So we have to get this picture that there's always more to learn about ourselves and understand. We are constantly evolving. There were certain things that we used to think were concrete through the ages of time. And then there were discoveries as we evolved. And we thought differently because as we evolved and discovered things and learnt new things. You know, Jesus was presenting to the Pharisees a new way, a new light through the scriptures. But they didn't like it. They didn't like what he was saying. They were so stuck in their ways and stuck in their traditions that they couldn't hear what he was saying. They were not open. They were not curious to see things in a new light. Jesus says in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
Eternal life is about us getting to know God. Eternal life. We're going to spend all of eternity knowing God. So it means we're all students. We're all learning. So don't ever stop learning. Don't ever stop being curious. There's always something new to discover about every single person that you know. It means that we're not closed off. But I think sometimes what happens when we're at the start of something new, we're excited to learn. I often liken it to a dating relationship. When two people are getting to know each other, they're all excited about learning about each other. Then what can happen once they maybe get married and get settled into their relationship? They stop being curious and learning about the other. They become familiar and and think that's just it. But we're constantly evolving. Life presents us with opportunities and experiences that change us as human beings. So we need to be open and curious about each other and what God is showing through us as a community. It's so easy to categorise. It's so easy to box and to be judgmental and make quick snap judgments about people rather than just being open and curious. And I think one of the best things that we can do in developing an authentic community is knowing each other's story. There's something that happens when we tell each other our story that we get to understand a little bit why that person is the way they are. And I think when we get to know our own story and how that shapes our own biases and and the way we behave and our thoughts, then we can have some level of understanding and compassion to other people. I think we have two ears and one mouth for a very good reason. And in that ratio, two to one, we should be spending more time listening to each other and rather than speaking, asking questions and learning. So that's what I really want to encourage you with this, this point of learning in knowing each other in community, that we don't make snap judgments. We, we get to know people and their story. My second point is that we're learning to love in, a, in an authentic Christ-like community. Learning to love. You know, Jesus left us with two very simple commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love others as yourself. Simple? (laughs) Maybe to say, but to do? Definitely not simple and not easy. For starters, how? How do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? What measuring tape do I use? And how do I love others as myself? What if I don't love myself that much? These are not easy answers because the fact is none of us, when we came out of our mother's womb, knew how to love. None of us, not even the first man and woman created, Adam and Eve, knew how to love. You can see it very clearly when after they had eaten of the forbidden fruit and God comes and talks to Adam and he says, what have you done? He, his answer wasn't quick to uh, be a knight in shining armour and protect his wife. His response clearly reflected one that lacked love. He said, the woman that you gave me made me do this. Quick to blame, quick to protect himself. It wasn't an act of love. Adam had to learn how to love. You see, love is something that we receive 
and it's modelled to us. And in time, we then do the same. When we come to know God's unconditional love and unmerited love, we're able to reflect that to others. When we look at a baby, if that baby has been raised in a very loving environment, it will feel secure, it will feel safe and nourished. You know, that baby doesn't need to do much to receive love. It just receives all this love and attention. Love is pretty much a one-way street for a baby. We don't expect for a baby to give love in return. But as that baby starts to grow and become a child, we, our expectations start to change, especially as they grow and head towards teenage and adult years. We don't expect that baby just to be a, a receiver, receiver of love and not be able to, in turn, give love. We expect, in time, that that child will also maturely give love. But what if a child has been raised in an environment that wasn't loving? How will that affect that child and how it gives love? My point here is that the way we've been raised in our environment very much shapes how we give love. We don't, none of us have been raised in a pure, loving environment. All of us even through as we go through life, have experienced situations and circumstances that maybe have not been loving. And so we pick up wounds along the way and hurts along the way. So we have to learn. We have to learn to put on love. As Paul says in Colossians 3.12, he says, Therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a, compla a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you are also called in one body, control your hearts, be thankful. There's so much there in that passage of Scripture of teaching us and how to love and we need situations and circumstances in order for us to exercise that, don't we? To me, learning to love is like learning to dance. Now, earlier uh, this year, well, Christmas time last year, I received a voucher from my niece for some salsa class, class lessons. And so I went along to a class early in the year, well, midway in the year, and um, thought, right, I'll, I'll give this a go. And there was about 60 of us in the class and the instructor was fantastic and you could tell straight away that there were people in this classroom who had some exposure to dancing maybe in their culture and others didn't, who didn't even know they had hips. They didn't even know how to move their hips. And so um, we were having some fun and they taught us some basic steps to get us going. And so this morning I thought we'd have some fun in church. Are we up for some fun in church? Yeah. So I'm going to teach you the basic step in salsa. And I'm going to ask for some volunteers. I just want four or five volunteers to come out. Daniel, you're, you're eager. I love it. Come on up, Daniel. Anyone else? Come on. Who's going to join Daniel? Come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. Anyone else before I pick you out? We want four or five. We don't want these two just to be on their own. Hannah and Georgia and anyone else who would like to come out. All right. And Emma, I'm going to need your help with this microphone. So these guys are up here and being brave, but that doesn't mean you get out of this. 
I want you all to stand to your feet. And unless you have some type of injury, and um, not that this is going to be fairly strenuous, but if you have an injury, please be seated. But otherwise, I don't want any party poopers in the house. I want us to be up and having fun in church. All right. So I'm going to use my voice because I can't dance and clap at the same time as hold a mic. So salsa is very much made up of eight beats, eight counts, okay? So what you do is we're going to count to eight, but you don't count the fourth, fourth beat, okay? So just a very simple demonstration with our hands. We go one, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. Great. Awesome, you got that. Now we're going to move our feet. So to that count, what we're going to do is get our right foot and we basically move it front and back and then our left foot goes behind. Front, oh, I'm going to move here. Thank you. So you want to join me. So we're going to do it to the beat. So it's one, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three. Five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. How's that? Right? To make it a little bit complicated, we're going to do a side step. All right? So same count. Same count. We can do this. By the way, are there any salsa class dance teachers here? I did this at Cheltenham and, and found out there was a dance teacher in the class who taught uh, salsa and I thought he should have been up there. So I just wanted to check. All right, so now we're going to do it to the side, okay? So one, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, three, five, six, seven. We're good. Now, we can't do this without music. We need music, don't we? So... Maestro Dan, now the music has counting, so listen to the counting. When you hear the one, that's where we're going to do front. Watch my hands when I go front and then when I go to the side, all right? So we're going to first do front and then side. So we're ready, Dan. Thank you. I'm sure you weren't expecting to do that in, in uh, church this morning. You guys rock. I'm impressed. Let's give yourself a hand. <laughs> You're amazing. I love the fact that you got up and do, did that. 
So we just basically learnt the basic step in salsa. But there was a cucaracha step to learn and a timing step and we had to put it all together when I did this dance lesson. I'm running out of breath, I'm so unfit. <laughs> so learning to love is very much like learning the steps of a dance. There are a whole variety of moves and steps when we are learning to love. And you know, you, you learn some basic steps and then you build on them. And you know, this scripture that I just read out to you pretty much gives us some of those steps. We could start with kindness, being kind to ourselves and being kind to others, learning what it means to be kind. And then we can add to that gentleness. When I'm gonna to respond to someone, rather than respond harshly, I'm gonna respond gently rather than out of my frustration. So it's learning all those steps and putting them into practice. And uh, before you know it, you're going to learn to love like these dancers learn to dance. So thank you if I can have the video. This is just a short demonstration of how these people dance. Take two. Ooh. So that was probably the most appropriate salsa video I could show you in church. <laughs> but that, those dancers had to learn the basic step. The basic step was the foundation of learning salsa. So as they learned that, they added more. And look at how their feet moved, right? Look how, how it seemed almost so easy, but there was a lot of learning the steps as they were learning to dance. And so it's the same for us. We need to remind ourselves that we have to learn all the moves to love. And you know, I don't think forgiveness would be in the list of love um, if it wasn't there for a very, very good reason. It's one of the key attributes of learning to love. And that brings me to my final point this morning that we are needing to learn to love our imperfections. And an authentic Christ-like community is learning very much to learn to love our imperfections. We need to see our imperfections in ourselves and in each other as actually a gift. And often we don't. You see, our imperfections actually give us the ability to exercise love. If we were all perfect, there would be no need to actually learn to love. But none of us are perfect. We all have imperfections and so I want to I don't know why but there's for some reason a perception in community that church is a place made up of perfect people there's this wonderful sign at the door and I walked in that says welcome I would love to add to that sign welcome no perfect people here because there aren't we are none of us are perfect and we need to lose the thought that this is a perfect community. 
An inauthentic Christian community is when Christianity gets reduced to a moral code of behaviour rather than it being a radical learning centre of love and belonging. You see, the Pharisees basically said you had to behave right to belong. And if you didn't behave right, you had no place here. And that grieved the heart of Jesus and the heart of God. Because God says we all belong. We all belong. An authentic Christ-like community actually accepts where people are at and trusts that people, when they're following Jesus, that Jesus is doing the changing. As they are following Jesus, as they've given grace and the ability to follow him rather than people making judgments about them. And just because we're choosing to walk with Christ doesn't mean that we do and live perfectly. We're all on the way. And that's the way I like to say it. We're on the way. We haven't arrived, but we're all on the way. You know, some people are afraid to follow Christ because they know they're not perfect and they feel that they won't be loved unless they are. That's called perfectionism. Perfectionism is not about trying to do well or trying to improve. Perfectionism is saying anything short of perfect is unacceptable. It's about earning approval and acceptance of others. And it actually hides the pain and shame of unworthiness. It kind of whispers in our ear and says, you're not good enough, you're not, unless you do this right, you're not going to belong. See, Jesus came to demonstrate that we are all worthy, not because of our deeds. All of us were dead in our sins, but he deemed us all worthy as he went to that cross and gives us an opportunity for relationship with him. And so that's the kind of message we want to convey in an authentic Christ-like community. But I'm sure some of you might be saying, but doesn't the Bible say we are to be perfect? I'm sure we've read it somewhere in the Bible. It says that we are to be perfect. And you're right. In Matthew 5, 46, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Big call. What, what does this scripture really, truly mean? Does God truly expect us to be perfect, to never make a mistake, to never sin again? Is that his expectation of us? Something to me doesn't ring true. So what is this scripture truly saying? Jesus makes this statement at the conclusion of his teaching on what it means to love our neighbours. He teaches we're called to love everyone, not just people we like and we get along with and hang out with, but even our enemies. And I think, what kind of love do you need to have to love your enemies? It would need to be a fairly deep and mature love. It's loving deeply, even despite seeing the imperfections and the offences of another. Does it mean that we don't call out on behaviour that is not right and that hurts other people? No, I think we have a right to call out on behaviour that hurts people, but we also need to do it with grace. We need to do, tread gently because we can all be in the same position ourselves. And how would we like to be treated if we've done something wrong? That's what authentic Christ-like communities do. They're not communities made up of perfect individuals, but rather individuals that are learning to love deeply and wholly as God does with all our imperfections. I just want to wrap this up this morning, um, and I want to read a word 
that was spoken over me at last year's prophetic gathering. We had a number of um, prophets come and um, part of our own training team, um, those who were training in prophecy. And we had a prophetic gathering and there was a word spoken over me. And I would like to speak it over you because I think it fits well in what I'm trying to share with you this morning. So if you could just take a moment, maybe close your eyes. And I want to read this word over you. And it's this. I have a word, two different words. It's two different ways to say the word, and the word is perfect. We all know what you are when you're perfect. You're perfect. But the word is actually perfect. When you perfect something, you're working towards perfection. And I see a picture of the beautiful potter's wheel. I just see you so soft and beautiful in the hands of the potter and just going round and round and round and being so pliable and so soft. It's almost like every day God can create you to be a different vessel through your softness and your, sorry, and your journey to perfection. You can be used for different things every day because you're soft and so pliable. So just keep that way. Keep being on the potter's wheel and keep letting him mould you. And keep expecting him to do new things through you. And remember the scripture that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day he comes. So don't strive for perfection this side of eternity. Just strive to being on that journey to perfection and enjoy being used the amazing ways that you never even thought of. Push outside of yourself and just let it happen by the softness of you on that wheel. You can open your eyes. Each one of us is on a journey. Each one of us um, has imperfections. Each one of us has an opportunity to allow God in. I think of a cracked pot where there are cracks that allows the light to come in. And, you know, all of us, as we present those things to God and as we journey and we are graceful and we're learning to love and community, that creates an authentic Christ-like community. And I believe it becomes such a magnet for people out to come in where they feel that they can be just who they are and where they are on the journey. And they, we allow God to take them on that journey. Let's pray.